We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey there, folks. We are about to plunge again into the topic of cash flow. Weirdly, because I'm a nerdy kind of guy, one of my favorite topics, but also to be fair to myself, because I have seen that managing cash flow intelligently is two things. First of all, really essential for scaling a business with safety. And the more aggressive you want to be, the more skillful you need to be at managing it. And I've worked with some people who have done some pretty aggressive growth. But even if you want to be defensive about it, you probably need to work on this as well and keep your business safe. So if safety is more your priority than scaling, it's still critical to manage your cash flows, the first thing. The second thing is this, that it is the most hidden competitive advantage. Your competitors on Amazon, Shopify, Google, wherever you are, whatever sales or, or traffic channels you have, they cannot see the inner workings of your business, but you can. And if you get the inner workings of your business around cash flow management sorted out and other people don't, you're going to beat them and you're going to beat them big time. So that's two really strong reasons, I believe, for taking this topic really seriously. We're going to talk about the third big problem today of the three that I've identified, and that is not enough cash. And we're about to get into the solution to the problem and discover what is a CCC, cash conversion cycle, and why is that important in e-commerce? Let's get into the content. So the third big cash flow you know, issue or, or problem is what? Not enough cash. Or that you could say that's where it shows up. And I would say it's an underlying cash flow management issue potentially. So I think the, the solution to this is, I mean, not to ignore the previous two things. If you don't know your numbers, you have no idea. You can't solve it, really. Yeah. Uh, if your profits are horrible or, you, or you're basically trading at, at no profit or even at a loss, then that is part of the underlying recourse. But aside from those things, it's yeah. around your cash conversion cycle. And one of the solutions that is being practiced by people from anyone from Hewlett Packard to Amazon is to change their cash conversion cycle. And that changes everything about the business. Okay. So so broadly talk speaking, to me, talk to me about what does that phrase mean? What's the cash conversion cycle? Cash conversion cycle is basically you, you turn cash into so for a typical e-commerce business, you turn cash into stock. So, for example, if I'm ordering stuff from China, let's say it's you know beginning of April, I yeah. put uh, a deposit down and say three thousand dollars for a set of stock. I wait until it's been manufactured. Let's say the first of um, may or something that mm -hmm. i would pay the remaining seven thousand dollars and then the stock would land in amazon in or in the us and then go into my own warehouse or amazon or wherever it's being sold from in say what are we into july mm -hmm. and then that would sell through let's hope over about three months so that's really when the the, the cash conversion cycle is completed for that particular set of cash so by october then you've got cash again yeah. And hopefully, obviously, if it's been profitable, then it's cash with friends. So you've turned mm -hmm. $10,000 into, say, 15000 or whatever your return on investment is. Uh, if it's sold at break even, then it will just bring your 10000 back out. So it's so fascinating. I Just as a digital goods seller, we have a catalog that has no cash flow cycle that's equivalent to what you just described. Very uh, interesting. <laughs> we have work involved in making the product one-time fee or expense or time. And then... Beyond that, it's just obviously near zero marginal cost and instant, you know, turnaround. So it's a different model. So talk to us more about that then. What are the challenges of 
managing the cash flow cycle? How do you shorten it, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so shortening it really comes down to, I think, three things, one of which is that the biggest strategy, I'll probably come to that last because it's a little bit more sort of bigger picture, but the, the, the two sides of it are really increasing the money you owe people and then decreasing the money that people owe you which sounds a really weird thing to say. So let me just talk about this. So accounts payable basically means the money you owe other people. And broadly speaking, from the cash flow perspective, this is why there's a difference between the cash balance sheet and the cash flow and why I think all three statements are important, i.e. profit and loss balance sheet cash flow. This is effectively cash flow management because from the profit and loss point of view, this doesn't change the profit and loss. But from the cash flow point of view, it changes everything, right? So here's the thing. If I buy those same widgets from China, let's say that I'm I'm buying $30,000 worth because you won't get it for small deals. And let's I'm and I need to with the first structure I'm buying what do I say, let's say I'm buying $100,000 worth of a product from China. Yeah. And I in my original deal, I'd put down a 30% deposit. And then when it's made, I pay them 70% balance. Now, if instead of paying them $30,000 in April, and then paying $70,000 in May, I can get a deal with them where I pay them $30,000 in May. And then I pay the rest when the boat lands in the USA, that means Mm -hmm. a heck of a lot less cash is tied up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my working capital, which is really a function of how much you owe and how much people owe you is much smaller, which either means you can grow a lot faster with the same amount of money or you need less money to make the Mm -hmm. same amount of sales. Mm -hmm. And it's a profound difference. So this is one of those things where getting great supplier credit deals is absolutely critical. If you get an import from China, particularly, which many of us do, or from any other India, same thing, or from Europe to the US for that matter. This is one of those things where the serious businesses that I know really, really work on this. And it makes a massive difference to the amount they can grow in any given year or the amount of money that is needed to be invested in their business. And do they usually work on that through the strategy of better terms from the supplier or do they get funding, loan products, that kind of thing for financing the inventory? Well, there are lots of different approaches to it and you can get into the weeds on this. The very best and the first place to try is always supplier credit. And Uh the good thing about the Chinese particular is that because they're effectively most, and this is why the the US and and Chinese governments get into hot water politically. But the truth is that the Communist Party seems to be behind funding most stuff ultimately Uh in China. Uh Therefore, there is pretty, at the moment, and there has been for a long time, pretty liberal credit available to suppliers, which they then often pass on to the people like ourselves that are buying Mm -hmm. basically because the the Chinese sort of I suppose trade policy for a couple of decades has been market share grabbing and therefore Mm -hmm. they've been funding it like absolute crazy now it does that you know does that party stop at some point probably if you believe Peter like people like Peter Zion and so forth but for the moment it seems to be very true particularly now Um, so often what a supplier is interested in is order size and that's pretty much it. They don't seem that bothered about profit. <laughs> they get a little bit of a rebate from the Chinese mm-hmm, government, mm-hmm. And, but they really don't care that much about cash flow either once you've really established you're a big player, which is amazing because we really need to care about cash flow if you're a small business owner of a business that grows rapidly. So that is the best possible solution. I mean, yes, you can look at factoring, which is really, I would say, accounts receivable management, which is the second part of it. And explain what factoring is for people who aren't familiar with that phrase. 
Yeah, so I'm mean, going to think there are a few different possibilities. The one that I'm familiar with is is that basically they would what they call a receivables purchase. So they would look at what Amazon's paid you for the last year and say, okay, we think that Amazon over the next six months or the next twelve months or whatever it is is going to pay you X amount, say mm-hmm. you know two hundred thousand dollars or something. So we will pay you that money now, and then when Amazon pays you, you pay us, and we'll take our cut at that. So point. it's a loan against your accounts receivable. Kind in of. Essence. Technically speaking, it's not a loan. In essence, yes. Mm-hmm. For you and me, it is. For, for the people who do it, it's mm-hmm. not a loan, and they're not allowed to call it that, and the SEC okay. gets involved. But yes, basically, yeah, it's something like a loan, basically. Okay. It's a commitment. You owe people money based on your future cash, you know, accounts yeah. receivable. Yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. So that's something that's that's less attractive, but also possibly less mm-hmm. uh, necessary, because the other side of your cash flow conversion cycle is, but if I sell stuff on Amazon, I get paid 14 days later. If you sell on other marketplaces, by the way, it might even mm-hmm. be even later instantly sometimes yes could be instant if it's digital (laughs) yeah if it's digital yeah yeah so obviously you know one reason to sell digital goods by the way is the whole characteristics of the cash flow which is a different thing from the profit and loss although related of course all these things interact but that brings me to the third overall point which is your overall stock or sourcing strategy viewed through the lens of reducing your cash conversion cycle is important for example very simple but very profound is if you source stuff in the uk and sell in the uk as one of my clients in the 10k collective does uh-huh. the cash flow characteristics of his business are profoundly different and much much better than most people who are importing from china what, what in the uk How? so for example if you need to buy enough stock to sell such that you don't go out of stock right which yeah. is the fundamental thing then if you um can buy six months six weeks stock and then ship it into Amazon and it goes from factory order to into Amazon within, say, okay. a month. So All you speed. need to have is six weeks worth of stock mm-hmm. tied up in you know, cash, tied up in stock rather than three or four months. So it's the speed of from manufacturer to into Amazon FBA warehouse. Exactly. Okay. That that's the practical thing, but what that does to the cash flow is it means yeah. you tie up a lot less cash. You tie up maybe mm-hmm. a month, maybe six weeks cash as mm-hmm. opposed to three months. So again, mm-hmm. it kind of halves or, or is a third less uh, working capital needed compared to somebody who's importing, which is so a I, profound change. Okay. So ideally you'd be sourcing product from some manufacturer who has their warehouses about, you know, a mile and a half from Amazon warehouses or something like that. Yeah. I mean, they have multiple it's warehouses, impossible. so that yes, would be, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. something, it, ideally, you're, you're right. absolutely right. The, the ideal manufacturer basically lives a stone's throw away from, from the yeah. warehouses you're going to use for fulfillment, even if it's your own garage or something. Yeah. And they have a really short uh, manufacturing lead time. Absolutely right. Okay. So, yeah. Right. And, and those things may seem just like a pain to manage. And from the profit and loss point of view, they affect it, of course. But from the cash flow and the working capital requirement, they are profound. And that is really all of this we're talking about now is, is technically, I would call it balance sheet management, because technically it doesn't show up on the profit and loss because it doesn't change the value of the equity in your company. But it yes. really, really shows up in the cash flow, like big time. No, I totally get that and agree 100%. And so when you talk about that, balance sheet management you know you've used the phrase working capital Mm -hmm. talk to us about what that phrase specifically means and i (laughs) i see entry-level e-commerce sellers who who struggle with this whole question of scaling their expenses associated with inventory Mm. and not understanding how to pay themselves it's like, yeah. it's just, the, and they call it feeding the beast. And it's all about yeah. reinvesting all your money into inventory, especially for arbitrage people who yeah. are trying to figure out how to scale arbitrage mm-hmm. uh, strategies. They're, they're in this 
difficult position where they want to grow their business, but at some, and, and they can, if they continue to invest all their money into inventory, yeah. Yeah. and at some point you say to yourself, uh, I'm not being paid for any of this work. Yeah. So how do you manage working capital and get to clarity on those types of issues? Well, it's a very good point. I mean, I think the the general point is probably the most important, which is that simple, simple phrase that everyone needs to burn into their their, their brains, which is growth sucks cash. Mm. So as as one of the I, I interviewed a guy the other day from Thrasio, which is a you know huge mm-hmm. you know monster that's that's an aggregator that's gone from billion dollar valuation to about six now over a few months, and uh, so they employ some very smart people. And this guy's also an Amazon seller, and I've known him for years really smart guy so he was an operator in the trenches like ourselves and and uh, yeah basically he said this that amazon as a whole on average grew about 38 percent in 2020 now it's an extreme year i'm not predicting mm-hmm. that will happen again but he said this first of all if you've got a 30 percent profit margin then you aren't haven't even got enough cash to fund the growth so you not only will you not be able to pay yourself if you're growing mm-hmm. at the rate that keeps you in pace with amazon i'm not saying you should but if you right. did which a lot of people yeah. would choose to then you haven't even got enough to pay yourself ne- never mind actually you know and and fund growth so i think you really have to choose if you're going to take one pot of cash and try and allocate it to two uses then obviously it doesn't work it's like i can't borrow the car on the mm-hmm. calendar and then also lend it to my wife at the same time so and both expect to use it that's part of the answer is bifurcating your you know your inventory yeah. cash or or you know planning money Yes. And your other business expense money, including paying yourself. Exactly and, and right. Yeah. Through it in two different buckets. Yeah. Exactly right. So if you want to grow at 30% and your profit margin overall is about 30%, then then you haven't got anything to pay yourself mm-hmm. with. So you either right. need to grow slower and pay yourself or you need to get funding. And I would suggest, weirdly enough, although I would never say that getting external money, whether it's in the form of, of debt or factoring or even uh, investments, it's mm-hmm. never an easy or quick or simple decision. But yeah. nevertheless, if you do want to consider not growing and paying yourself, that sounds attractive and responsible if you take your business in isolation, but it does not exist in isolation. And if the markets around you are being funded by billions and billions, probably going to be trillions of dollars soon of of cash from private equity investors who are now coming in as well as a venture capitalist, then that means the market as a whole is getting full of well-funded smart operators. I don't think in an environment like that, it makes sense to be too abstemious on growing your business. And I think you need to make a decision about what you're going to do in that environment. You know? Yeah, it's so tough though. And this really is why tough. entrepreneurship is difficult because yeah. I hate going fast and blowing things up on accident. Mm. I would I would advise people every day of the week go slow and Mm. build your business methodically and if that means you run into a product category where you lose because you didn't scale along with the competitors then lose yeah but do not ruin your future opportunities by trying to scale something too fast i mean it's yeah i mean it it took us like five years of kitchen table entrepreneur before i could leave my day job sure and, you know, I just, I really, I, I don't want to worry for people, but I would just say it's better to go slow and build methodically and really yeah. understand the market dynamics and yeah. be in the game than be a non-survivor. Because, you know, like there's a great phrase in mutual fund investing called a survivorship bias. Yeah. It's like, hey, every every mutual fund earns 8%. 
Yes, that's true. Except for all the ones that blew up and went <laughs> out of business. <laughs> yeah. I, listen, I couldn't agree more. Here's what I would say, though. You, you have to be real about the relationship with the, the dynamic of what you want yeah. internally in your business. And I absolutely agree with you, by the way, Jason. Please understand that. I, I'm absolutely not in favor of ridiculous growth. I would say two things. Number one, if you have chosen to sell you know, whatever it is, iPhone stands on Amazon, you're in a business model. That means you have to grow aggressively or yeah. get out. And right. you have not chosen well if you want to have a less aggressive business. Now, I agree that therefore it's probably not a good plan for most people, right? But if you are in that, you're going to have some choices to make now because there's very big money coming in. They'll be doing the incredibly optimized images. They won't need to worry. These guys who are investing billions will not be looking for a cash return for a couple of years. Yeah. They're interested in market share. And that's it's like Amazon on steroids. Okay, so that's the first thing. I mean, you've got to just pick your fight. And I think, I think to your point. What we're clarifying together is cash flow is a function of your business model. And your yes, business model yes. is not your business. You yes. can be in business and say, you know what? This business model really stinks. Yes. I'm winding this thing down and yeah. I'm going to scale up a new business model. And your yep. cash flow will change accordingly. Yeah. Very and, so, true. and you can blend down one, you know, dial down one business model that has one cash flow dynamic and dial up a new one that has a different cash flow dynamic. And neither of those were your business. Your business is you running, you know, an e-commerce operation or, you know, a, a small business and you get to choose what do you, you know, how do you do that with different business models? And I guess that's what we're trying to clarify here. So that, anyway, that's very, right. very good point. You made a really superb point there because here's the thing. If you don't have an upside for risk or you probably rightly to your point, and I agree, I really agree that you shouldn't be taking big risks and risk, you know, as Warren Buffett says, you know, you've risked losing a hundred million this year in order to be worth 110 million next year. Why is that a good trade? I, I yeah. totally get that in which case you are absolutely right you if you're selling on amazon you may well be thinking i need to to be spooling up my shopify site pretty fast right. in order to be in a space where things move a bit slower and i can run it at a pace where i can take some mm -hmm. profit off the table yeah. each and every year and take my family on holiday and have the odd day off right. um you're absolutely right and, and thank you for clarifying that because that's clarifying my own thinking as well yeah you're right business model links with cash flow characteristics and business model is not business. Really, really good distinction. The other thing I was going to say, though, is this. If one is more inclined to be more aggressive, and I've worked with people who love the aggressive you know, growth that you mm -hmm. get on Amazon, here's what I would say. The more aggressive you want to be, the better you need to be at the skill sets that we've been discussing today, which is to say that you need to really know your numbers. You really need to do cash flow projections, like years ahead. You have to scenario planning, scenario, you know, best case, worst case, and a sort of average case. Yeah. You really need to be conscious of and working on your profit levers. So having a strategy for increasing pricing which i would say broadly speaking in a nutshell yeah. have an amazing brand and have incredible photography on your on your site and you need to be very very smart at managing your cash flow so that the the more you know your your balance sheet management that we talked about so i, I think guess, mm -hmm. that's that's the other thing i would say yeah this conversation is helping me clarify with cash flow <laughs> it is the same as a game and the and the game is there's two ways to play one way is to play to win the other play is, uh, way to play is to not lose and yeah. to be unbeatable. <laughs> and so I guess in my mindset, I've always been the guy who I just, I, I will play to, I'll play defense way harder than I play offense. And that goes back to American football, I guess, when I was growing up. But I always just, that if you cannot be beaten, then you're in the game. And so for cash flow, I'd rather use strategies that make me unbeatable yeah. than make me win. 
And so yeah. I think there's a difference in entrepreneurial spirit or style there. It's very yeah. core to who you are and what you're all about psychologically. And so I think cash flow is at the root of all of that, though, it mm. isn't it? I mean, it's sort of it plays into that, whether you're going to play ca the cash flow game to beat you know, all your competitors on Amazon, or if you're going to use the cash flow game to not die, not be beaten, not be taken out by a I agree. mistake of I your own making or other people's, you know. I agree entirely. And by the way, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the defensive move. I think some of the smartest business people I know, actually, for example, um, Richard Branson, famous UK entrepreneur, he's actually nothing like as risk on as people make out. He, he looks yeah. into the risks before he does anything. And he does smart deals. For example, mm -hmm. when he started one of his Virgin Airlines, I forget which one now, but maybe it's Atlantic or whatever it is. He leased some planes from mm -hmm. Boeing on the understanding that if it didn't work, they'd take them back. That's yeah. a very smart thing to de-risk. So we talked about risk management and risk reward analysis. What I would say about this, just to not lose the wood for the trees, is whilst maybe what I'm, I've been, some of the stuff I've been saying sounds like I'm pushing people to do really aggressive stuff. I'm not really. I, I think that right. all three things, like knowing your numbers, maximizing profits, and shortening mm -hmm. your cash con conversion cycle, whether it's in an aggressive or a more defensive way, are all uh, core approaches that will work yeah. for a defensive or a really aggressive business. Totally the agree. Thing I would say. Yeah, love it. And so that's really a good summary, isn't it? Why don't you just walk us through again those those three things as a summation of this conversation, and and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. So the first thing is, if you don't know your numbers, you're driving blind. And by the way, to the point of being defensive, that's incredibly dangerous. That That is not a way to keep operating. Even if you're doing low six figures, I would argue that that it's not a good way of, it's not a base for expansion, whether slow or quick. So the solution is know your numbers. So make sure you've got a chart of accounts. That is, that links the Journal of Actual Transactions to your QuickBooks or Zero. I would use not only software like Link My Books, for example, from Amazon to QuickBooks or Zero or A2X, but I would make sure, as you said, get a really good quality bookkeeper in place. And again, I would do this earlier than you think, to be honest. Like a low six figures, already you need to be doing it, in my opinion. And I think creating cash flow projections, again, I think you need to do this earlier than you think. But if you're, you know, moving slower, you can afford to do quarterly cash flow projections. The faster you move, the further you need to look ahead. Just like if you're driving very fast at night, you need to have real powerful full beam headlights on, in which case you need to be looking at a one, even three year cash flow projection. The second thing is maximizing profits. You've got four profit levers, which is increasing pricing, lowering direct costs, increasing unit sales, but only as you pointed out, if they're profitable sales, and lastly, lowering overhead. And then the other thing is shortening your cash conversion cycle. First of all, basically paying your suppliers or paying anybody later. So increasing your accounts payable. So pay as late as you can. Getting paid earlier if you want to. Accounts receivable management, which varies in how important it is. And then also think about your overall business model, which, as you pointed out, has cash flow kind of characteristics and thinking particularly if you're sourcing physical products about the cycle of uh, how early you need to pay and how quickly you're going to turn that stock back into cash. Love it. OK, if you've liked this episode, then be sure to check out Michael's coaching work on the AmazonMastermind.com. And you can also check out my latest book, E-Commerce Power. And uh, links are in the show notes, of course. And as always, it's been an honor to have a great conversation with you today, Michael. Thank you so much for breaking down cash flow for us. Hopefully, everybody's gotten a lot of value out of this. If you have, we'd love your highest and best review on Apple uh, Podcast Player or Spotify or whatever your player of choice is. And uh, be sure to refer a friend. And if they're struggling with cash flow in their business, of course, we'd love to have you share this episode with them. So thanks so much, Michael. 
Thanks, man. Great, great conversation. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.